It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me Austin! Oh son of a bitch! What? It's me Austin! It was me all along Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother! Welcome everyone to another big edition of Reliving the War. This is, I can't even remember what episode we're up to, but we're well into the war here. We obviously saw WCW fire another salvo with a big Halloween Havoc pay-per-view in our last edition. My name is Nims Azor. If you want to check out that episode, you can head to the Grey Wolf Wrestling Archives and check it out for yourself. I'm joined as always by my co-host Simon Tackler. Simon, you feel that... um, the war is real now. At first, it seemed like WWF was sort of like, yeah, all right, man, NWO, you do what you do. But after we've seen Halloween Havoc, we've seen Road Wild, and we've seen a bit of momentum swing toward Fall Brawl even with the war games, we're sort of seeing the WWF taking notice, aren't we? And really yeah. stepping up their game. Absolutely. WWE at this point starts to plant seeds and take things even further. That would all pay off into 1997, which of course would then kick things off properly in 98 and things were never the same from there. This pay-per-view feels like another sort of correcting of the ship for the WWF at the time. We'll go through it. There's some interesting stuff, but even if we're just talking about Halloween Havoc, WWE responded here by having sort of a Halloween themed uh, main event, but instead of being, you know, sort of as cartoony as old school WWF would have been in the eighties, this felt violent and dark and sort of a, a taste of where things would go into the Attitude Era. And we'll get to the main event, which is crazy. It is brutal. It's, it's the, the, you want to see why um, in 2020, The Undertaker is so revered and has such respect and he's sort of treated on the same level as Michael Jordan would be to basketball. It's because of matches like this. But uh, we start off the pay-per-view with the usual spiel, you know, the world's greatest uh, for over 50 years, the the leader in sports entertainment. And this is something that we've noticed amp up a little bit. The video packages have stepped up. When we did our first ever couple of editions of Reliving the War, it was almost an afterthought. There weren't even video packages. In fact, I believe International Incident didn't even have a theme song. It was just Welcome to the pay-per-view, guys. Whereas now, we've got a cool video package which is focusing solely on Mankind versus Undertaker. So from the get-go, they're telling you this is where the dollars are. Yeah, where, where we've seen them maybe, you know, half-ass it for one month or sort of miss a proper one. I really think from this point on, this was the formula. A super dramatic video for the main event. And this would become sort of a staple even until now, you know. Nearly, yeah. you know, 20, 30 years later, this is what you get at the start of the pay-per-view. And for my money, maybe it's nostalgia, but I love this style as well. The overly dramatic music, it's not a pop song, it's not a rock song, and it's that iconic voiceover, either Todd Pettengill or the other dude whose name I forgot. But yeah, they brought so much to them. 
one thing that was very strange from the get-go is you get the the three men both uh vince mcmahon jerry the king lawler and good old jr but uh the the seeds for jr's I don't want to say heel turn, but it's almost like a sort of shooty sort of interview because his microphone keeps having technical issues. And at the very start, you might think, oh, geez, they're just having a really bad day in production. But as the the night wears on, this is part of the storyline. Yeah, I laughed when they were doing this introduction. So it's JR King, Vince McMahon. JR's mic isn't working. He's getting fired up. They play a voiceover while he's trying to talk. I was laughing because I thought, oh, my God, Angry JR is hilarious. Yeah. I just thought it was real technical issues and poor JR couldn't keep his cool. But, yeah, as we start to get into the first match and then the second match and then, geez, maybe the third match, yeah, it got a bit much. It was kind of entertaining but very distracting at the same time. You're right. It did sound a little bit like, oh, geez, this is a bad day at the office, but we've seen, hey, we're alive, pal, and we've had signs fall in the background. It's it's a live pay-per-view, so you assume that maybe this is just part of the course. But yeah, as the night goes on, we find out that this is actually part of a greater angle. But let's start off, actually, get straight to the meat and potatoes here, because we have got a killer opening match. At least, not at least it would learn to be two great rivals triple h hunter hurst helmsley my apologies versus stone cold steve austin and it's so weird seeing these guys on what is essentially the opener match considering the fact how huge these two would play parts and roles in the attitude era isn't it it's a weird opening match because it's not two high flyers it's two guys who would go on to become me- megastars in just a couple of years. But what was strange too, it's two heels who didn't have a long-term feud kicking off yeah. a pay-per-view. It is a very strange choice of opener, but I really like this match. I thought this was excellent. Very, very good match too. You can tell Stone Cold Steve Austin is feeling the character. His promo in the little cut-in interview, he's nailing it. He knows what is going on. And not only that too, his famous Glass Shatters theme, I think this is the first time that is actually used um, for Stone Cold and obviously went on to become quite an iconic theme for him. Yeah, we finally got the glass breaking. We've got his goatee connected properly. None of that weird mustache stuff he had a few months ago, which no one remembers. And his vest was the proper 316 vest. So this was the first fully formed Stone Cold Steve Austin on a WWF pay-per-view. You're right. He killed it in the promo. And a weird note on the promo, like you mentioned, Triple H is Hunter Hearst Helmsley still at this point. No one knew how to shorten it yet. And Austin calls him Hunter Hurst, which is just weird. He's like, hey, Hunter Hurst, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm like, that sounds weird. That sounds so strange, yeah. It's funny because um, JR still, to this day, refers to him uh, as Helmsley. He always calls him Helmsley, which was a little bit confusing uh, when you realize like how many years that he's just called Triple H. And remember, like, there's probably a lot of fans that even in our vintage just that didn't realize that he was called Hunter Hearst Helmsley because he was always Triple H, Triple H. Well, his Triple little nameplate in the modern era literally says Triple H. Triple so, H. yeah, if you didn't have the context, you would just think this guy's name is Triple, Triple. and then his last name is H. H, yeah. So uh, we have more mic issues with uh, Jim Ross here, and we also have what I find great. We're talking about Austin nailing his character. 
He's giving the he's flipping off the bird. He's giving the he's giving the signs. He's talking smack, and Vince McMahon is very much like, "Oh, we apologize to people at home. We don't need language like this." <laughs> Which is always fun going back and watching these pay per views and hearing Vince call them because you know when when we were watching these the first go around, we were just kids. We didn't have dirt sheets. We're not going to read exposés on Vince McMahon. We didn't know about the steroid trial and all of these crazy (laughs) allegations against WWE. So we think Vince McMahon is this stuffy old man who's very offended by middle fingers. It's so funny. He's like, oh, oh, sorry. Oh, what disgusting behavior. It's great. We apologize to this at home, to to all the families watching the World Wrestling Federation. Like, he's just so, like, as you said, straight-laced. And Mm. this, like, you're right, though. This was a really, really good match. How, How, to use the Howard Finkel term, however... (laughs) <laughs> JR's mic, the 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 mic cutting out and constantly referring to it. Oh man, does it really distract you from what is a great match? They even did picture in picture of the match and JR getting angry. And then it was like, okay, that almost made me think, did they put a heel versus heel match because they thought they could throw it away? Mm. Like, who cares about the match? The story is JR, which is a strange choice because I suppose the crowd can be entertained by a good wrestling match, but at home, your attention span is, you know, forcefully split. You'd rather be yeah. just seeing one, but. And, and the other thing too, is like, you talk about the crowd, the crowd is actually really into this match. They're very mm. pro Austin here. So you can sort of see, even though you're right, it is two bad guys going against each other. The crowd is strictly behind Austin. Yeah, when he goes up and does the taunt in the corner, they cheer him. When he flips refs off, they cheer him. Like, it was pretty easy to, you know, if you were to have one guy play heel, you're going to go Austin as opposed to, you know, the stuffy Greenwich Triple H at this point. But the crowd takes to Austin very easily, and I'm sure, you know, they noticed that and thought, okay, there's something here. For whatever reason, the crowd is starting to cheer him more and more every month. Correct. Uh, there's a bit of interference in this match towards the latter end where Mr. Perfect comes out and uh, has a distraction and he steals Triple H's valet, who is not named as well. Yeah, she was an unnamed valet who I, I don't, I didn't notice the language in this match, but they called back to it later. They didn't refer to her as a valet. They called her an escort, which is yeah, strange cho- choice of language. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's an odd one there. But uh, obviously, Mr. Perfect does get involved here, which when you find out what Mr. Perfect's career goes on to be and how he jumps to WCW, it just seems so weird that they've done this. But it got me sort of thinking, there was a lot of, um, like, it seems like in this era, the WWF is trying their hardest to find lightning in a bottle. We saw it a couple of uh, months back with The Ultimate Warrior. Now we're sort of seeing the Mr. Perfect just slowly easing his way more and more into storylines here. But um, the distraction's enough for Austin to get the win. He does the weird stunner again. So he still quite hasn't got that, uh, what we know and love, the kick to the gut there as well. And he gets the win. But it's still strange to see this as the opening match. Yeah, I mean, it's a very good match. I would definitely recommend it. But yeah, there's just so many strange things. The interference, the JR stuff. If you can overlook that and you want to see two of the best ever, just as they were about to get there, but arguably at their athletic peak, watch this. If you're one of those people who says, oh, all Austin did was kick and punch, watch this match. 
you didn't yeah. don't know Triple H when he was young and you know sort of a slightly different style. Watch this match; it's very very good. And yeah, what a weird ending! The stunner without the kick part. Odd. It's so strange because it's just literally Austin sort of grabbing the head and doing a stunner. But uh, look, <clears throat> it's a it's a fantastic match. Oh, I I thought it was great to start off the show. The only thing negative I say about it is the JR Mike issues storyline, which continues to overshow and as we move into our next match it's our customary um it's our customary smoking guns quota in of 1996 wwf (laughs) i swear i thought it was over last month remember when i said well thankfully this is the end of it because it looks like they're breaking up i my memory must have blanked out that this kept going my note here was god damn it more smoking guns why (laughs) how are we doing this again and then to make it even stranger, we opened with heel versus heel, and we're following it up with heel versus heel. Smoking Guns versus Owen and Bulldog. This is two bad guy teams. What a weird pay-per-view this, this is. It's entertaining, definitely worth watching, but just strange. It's interesting that you mentioned before with uh, the Triple H versus Stone Cold match because I think you might be onto something with them putting two bad guy matches on in trying to get the JR storyline going because up until you sort of mentioned that, I'm just like, why on earth would they, like you said, why would they put another bad guy versus bad guy match? I mean, who are you going to root for? By de facto, I think everyone sort of went for um, Owen and Bulldog mainly because, you know, they're Owen and Bulldog. They've got a better sort of uh, caliber of wrestler. And I think at this point in time, everyone's kind of sick of the guns. 100%. You're right. They could sit through it because of Owen and Bulldog. The guns have definitely jumped the shark by this point. Like, I, I don't want to promise anything, but surely they're not on the next show we have to watch. Um, it's it's a real shame, too, because, like, you feel that Owen and Bulldog were put in this match because, like, look, if anyone can get a good match out of the guns, you yep. guys can. Yeah, this is better than the last one they had. I did write solid wrestling, but, again, the JR technical issues by this point are starting to get annoying. As fun as it is for Vince McMahon, because he seems to be having the time of his life (laughs) messing with JR. But yeah, aside from that, it is a bit of a struggle to watch a good match and have all of that rubbish going on. Um, Here's a note that I put down. Uh, JR's mic is a mega distraction. And once again, the guns deliver a stinker. (laughs) Yeah, it's better than the last one, but it's still not good. Like, if these guys couldn't have a good match with Owen and Bulldog twice, pack it up, you know, and that's what they did, thankfully. Um, JR brought back a line he used for Sonny previously. Mm -hmm. He said Sonny missed too many trips to the woodshed. Again, advocating for the uh, the corporal punishment of Sonny, which... Just yeah, feels yeah, weird when they're all adults. It is really strange too. And the other thing too is like because you've got Jerry the King Lawler on commentary, he's also extremely leery towards Sonny as well. Uh, and look, in 1996 that was uncomfortable. In 2020, it's just even more cringy to watch. And uh, look, but like like we always sort of say, it's a, these pay per views are a weird snapshot of what society and wrestling were like hmm. back then. And and uh, sadly, you know, some things have stayed the same, but for the majority of it, a lot of things have improved. Yeah, although although fair play to Sunny, she was an amazing performer. When they cut to her, so just for anyone who hasn't seen the show, she's not at ringside for this one. She's backstage watching the match on a monitor, 
mm-hmm. and and she's like pretending like she's not paying attention and so traumatized by the match because she doesn't know what to think about the guns anymore. At one point, King says something about her outfit, and he's like, "That's yeah, right." Like he he's just wearing some... a dressing gown or something. Yeah, yeah, and then he uses the line, uh, "You do the winking, and I'll do the rest." And yeah. she looks over at the camera and winked. And I thought, okay, Sonny's kind of awesome. What a sort of a shame she never went further than she did in the WWF. Like she just missed the peak of the Attitude Era. Yeah, very much so. Uh, look, it was it, it's a forgettable match. Um, hmm. There are better Owen and Bulldog matches. And you're right, man. Like, hopefully, this is the last we see of the Smoking Guns. Hopefully, like an, on an episode of Raw, they have a blow-off match or something like that. And the next time we see uh, Billy Gunner, he's teaming up with the Road Dog and uh, Bart Guns in um, in the Brawl Brawl. But no, we still have to go through Rockabilly. So, uh, oh boy, for about a year. So there is <laughs> that. That's something to look forward to. You're, are we you're the um, theme music guy. I just want to ask you, Nims. Owen Hart's theme music, where does that rank amongst the all-time greats? Because for me, that doesn't get talked about enough. Owen Hart's music was brilliant. And this is his sort of um, 1994 hangover, uh, Mm. not hangover, but this is the music that he had when he was feuding with Brett before he sort of went to the enough is enough and it's time for a change portion. Well, it's a really weird sort of... When we talk on, we're going down a rabbit hole here, but this is fantastic because you're right. Owen Hart's theme music. What I liked about this one that plays at the end of the match is it's got the overtones of Brett's iconic one, which sort of has that heart link, but it's unique enough to be, yep, that's Owen's music. And it is also, it's got all the, it's got all the staples of an early nineties WWF theme with a slow build. Then a, just a constant drum beat and then the final crescendo where you sort of get into it. Whereas then when he swapped to the Heart Foundation, they're all using Brett's theme. Mm-hmm. Then when he joined the Nation, he goes to the Nation of Domination theme. And then finally, of course, he has his Enough is Enough and it's time for a change theme where it's sort of that late 98 prog rock, but not quite prog rock they tried. But yeah, you're right. This is, It's a severely underrated theme. Yeah, like we need more people. If you don't know the song, if you haven't watched this pay-per-view, just find Owen Hart's theme music. You know what? Both of them. This and the Enough is Enough. Like Owen Hart had two of the best themes ever. You, most people aren't lucky to have one good theme. This guy had two yeah. all-time classics. Yeah, you know, stream them on Spotify if they exist. Very good. Yeah. He also thankfully had his own music. I did mention like the good chunks of his career where he shares music with someone else. Like for example, British Bulldog normally gets uh, the music entrance when they both were a tag team. But um, at least he is a fun fact when it comes to theme music that Xavier Woods has never had his own theme because he debuts with um, Brodus Clay's theme song. And then his follow-up theme music to that is The New Day. He's never had an individual theme song. Wow, okay, the bar is set very high. If he ever gets his own entrance music, it better be good. Yeah, you're not wrong. So then we move on to the superstar line. I love the superstar line because it's basically the little, the WCW equivalent of this is the CompuServe chat. This is the AOL one where they're in front of a computer and you can dial the hotline and put the keyword. Um, what is it? Like the keyword just WWF, but it comes up with the, the number is no longer active, but it's got the the best bit of pantomime as Triple H and some dude are there on the phone like, yeah, yeah, we're talking to, to you guys, the fans right now. And I just love this part because 
it doesn't happen anymore. Maybe you get the watch alongs like, oh, jump on Twitch and you could watch along with the guys or, but it's just so cool seeing those little uh, superstar lines and the copy serve bits. Yeah, you know that you can call up and have a topless Triple H cutting a promo on you for, you know, 20 bucks an hour or whatever, 20 bucks a minute, whatever they charge. That was Raymond Rougeau sitting next to him, um, who by this point wasn't You're wrestling. He was, he was commentating. Wow. Yeah, he would do commentary for them. And I think he still does now, actually. Like, they, they seem to bring him back every five years to do the, the French commentary. But this was making me think, if Triple H is cutting the promo, what are, like specifically only in French can you get a translation? You know what I mean? Not in well, Spanish, he, not in any other language. We've got Raymond Rougeau to translate. Weird. He was. He, he did have that weird sort of when he was terrorizing, he was sort of like that little... Uh, That's true. I tell you what, that that I cannot believe that, that like he, he's so different from the fabulous Rougeaus right there when he's yeah. all corporate. Oh, geez, and he's still doing commentary to this day. So there you go. Um, we move on to our next segment, which is the JR shoot interview in the ring. Like he's finally sick of all this, and I've just written down here, weird promo, full stop. Yeah, I think JR discusses discusses this whole era of his career in his book, and he's spoken about it on podcasts as well. But essentially, they wanted him to be the bad guy and sort of this, you know, ingrate who's angry at the great WWF. But it felt like, I think there's like two or three of these promos. Every time he does them, the crowd just cheers him. Like, yeah, I don't, it's... I don't, I don't think Vince McMahon ever really realized until they drilled it into his head with the Austin feud. Like, no, you're the bad guy here. He always mm. thought that everyone loves the WWF. If anyone speaks out, they're the bad guy. Like, no, JR, you know, was sympathetic for whatever reason, you know, even in this promo. Yeah, it's, but it's just so strange too because like, and JR is doing his absolute best. He's definitely trying his heart out here but after that weird little promo then we get to a little video recap thing where it's Farouk and Ahmed Johnson a free-for-all recap where Ahmed Johnson is it implied that he's taken out Farouk do we find out later that he's the one that attacked Farouk who is still in his sort of gladiator phase as well yeah I think we did do learn that Ahmed is the one who took Farouk out and then I think Farouk ends up forming the nation of domination hmm and then yeah, they go back go. and forth feuding about their kidney injuries or something. I don't know. That's all I remember. We'll get to that. But yeah, man, Ahmed Johnson was so like so on a roll for a few months and it just never paid off. Like if you're looking here, felt like he was going to be a big deal. So much, so much so, because he was an intercontinental champion. Remember, he did that. He was in the main events. He was a superstar. He was just a guy that just happened to get lost in the shuffle mm. uh, as as 96 sort of petered out a little bit. You want to talk about other people that got lost in the shuffle. Uh, we've got Mr. Perfect joining commentary. He relieves JR of his duties and promises to keep Mr. McMahon in check. Then we get to our next match. And you want to talk about Ahmed Johnson as someone that's a forgotten relic of the 1996-97 early Attitude Era sort of WWF, Mark Merrow versus Goldust. And what I've put here, my first note is Goldust is the MVP of 1996 WWF pay-per-views. I'm going to agree to a point with that because I was listening to Something to Wrestle. They did an episode on Goldust 
And when they go through it, Conrad Thompson will, you know, reference Dave Meltzer's star ratings for these various matches throughout his career. And Meltzer at this point was brutal to Goldust. This match sucked. This guy's terrible. He's fat. He's out of shape. This match is boring. Every pay-per-view we've watched from the WWF so far, Goldust is in a perfectly above-average, good, entertaining match. Every yep. match he's been in so far has been good. And this one with Mero is very good as well. It's better than their last one. There's a very simple formula in 1996 WWF, and that is anyone versus Goldust is the ultimate good guy because Goldust <laughs> is weird. He's theatrics. He's flamboyance. <laughs> It, it, and that's basically the the formula here. And Mark Mero gets the absolute mega superstar entrance. He's got the pyro. He's got Sable. He is just... You want to talk about Ahmed Johnson being portrayed as a superstar. Mark Mero, you want to talk about... Like, he was given the rocket ship push here. Yeah, funny to, th- funny to think that Mark Mero and um, Ahmed Johnson were the two guys getting the huge push. Neither guy would sort of matter in two years but mark merrow even though i wrote here my first note was finally a face in a match sadly it's merrow mark merrow mm. is very good in this match he does things that in 96 you weren't seeing guys doing the wwf he's doing you know like dragon screw leg whips and japanese mm. arm drags and all this good technical stuff and it's a good match i can't say anything it's, bad about it it's um, a Mero's very high impact mode. match too sorry what was that it's also a really high impact match too. Like these guys don't have rest holes. They're just going bang, bang, bang. They're just straight into it. Yeah, it's fast paced. This really sort of gets the pay-per-view kicked up to another gear, which is nice to see. I think the WWF, even if you weren't blown away by these pay-per-views in 96, they all sort of build to the main event. Whereas WCW, as we've noticed, you might have a classic technical match to open, then a cruiserweight match, but then you've got John Tenter and Big Bubba and like and you're like what you know and the momentum's all over the place. This was good. You were saying about the Mark Mero promo. Oh, Mark Mero's promo. He tries getting a line to King because King is talking to him during the promo, and he says, "I'm the champ. You're the chump, buddy." And that's what he ended on. I thought that was a funny <laughs> line. But then Lawler, while the the match is starting and we see Sable, he ex- accuses her of like buttering up the ref. And this is a very non-PG line. Like, talk about attitude error. He said, I saw her wink at the referee and say, hey, remember last night at the Marriott? And I was like, God Marriott, damn it. Yeah, the hotel, yeah. And you're just yeah. like, dude, that's 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 uh, very... Uh, yeah, it, you're right. It, it, it's one of those very provocative lines there. Uh, but Vince the other- cleans it up, though, right away, mm. where he says, oh, if you ever have the opportunity to say hello to Sable, you should take it. She's a very special lady. Like, what? Yeah, I know. It's just so good. Another great Vincism in this match is hearing him say, the wild man. <laughs> he just loves saying the wild man, Mark Mero. Yeah. So good. Yeah, he absolutely loved Mark Mero. And uh, you know what? I'm glad JR wasn't on commentary for this match because as we explained last time, when they were building up that Mark Mero had this unbelievable finishing move that no one had ever seen before, which was the shooting star press, the wild thing, mm. JR buried it. And it was like, ah, oh, some people call that the shooting star press. And yeah, Vince, like- I could tell, was annoyed. <laughs> but here, Vince got to call it the way he wanted. Ah, oh, the wild thing. My God. Mm. Yeah. 
And not only that, it is a, a perfect shooting star press too from a guy that's huge. He's a big guy. You think when you think shooting star presses, you think Kidman, you think maybe even Shane McMahon, who can also do a shooting mm. star press, but a guy like Mark Merrow, who's probably a couple of notches down from size of Brock Lesnar. We all saw what happened when Brock tried a shooting star press. There's a reason he hasn't done it since, but he nails it absolutely perfectly. And another thing else that I wrote down here. Do you think Mark Merrow got some uh, satisfaction when he saw Brock botch it? It was like, <laughs> yeah. he took my wife. You couldn't take that, my move too. That, that's what you got there, mate. It'll always be the wild thing. I don't care <laughs> yeah. what you want to call it. <laughs> One thing that just was seemed odd. Why did Triple H wander in here for a bit of interference? I don't know. Something about the Intercontinental <laughs> title and and he gets punched by Mr. Perfect. It was, I don't know, this was its own feud. Maybe we need to watch the Raw after to get it. So strange. L- one last one before we wrap up this match, but you got to say this. The crowd is behind Mark Merrow. Like, they, it's, yeah. not like it's not like he's being force-fed down our throats. Yeah. They are genuinely behind him, possibly because he's up against Goldust and everyone... Is, that's against Goldust automatically gets cheered. And Goldust himself is actually talking a fair bit of smack to the crowd too. So, but Mark Merrow, you can't say that he was forced down our throats. He was actually genuinely popular here. He probably was. And he was exciting to watch wrestle. You're right. He did the moves well. He did stuff that we didn't normally see in that kind of era of WWF. So if anyone has a shot at Mark Merrow to say like, oh, you know, he was a he was just someone that, was force-fed to us, and we rejected him. And thank heavens that he's not doing anything now because it was such a waste of talent. He was actually really good. Yeah, before the big knee injury where he had to change his style and become Marvelous Mark, watch him pre-injury in WWF as the wild man. And even as Johnny B. Bad in WCW, he was very athletic, you know, sort of ahead of his time because, like you said, his size and the moves he was doing, he had charisma. He could obviously cut a promo, looked awesome, had a great ballet, just... Never came together again after the injury, I think. Yeah, just a couple of um, unfortunate circumstances there for the wild man. I've got to Uh, mention one last bit of commentary on this match. Sorry to cut you off, but we need to talk about this. When Mr. Perfect is on the call for this and Vince accuses, like he, you know, he says, oh, we see you've been sort of taking the escorts from Triple H. King then says to Mr. Perfect, where are you keeping those women are you keeping them hostage in your garage? And I just thought, Jesus, That's this right. commentary is next level. And and Mr. Perfect's also, he bites back as well. Like, mm. it's not, it's Vince does this, smell. Well, I don't know what you're talking about there, pal. You know, and moves on. Whereas Mr. Perfect's like, oh, you want to go, do you? Yeah. <laughs> he knew he could hold his own. And like you said, Goldust got on the mic too and threatened to stick his tongue down everyone's throat. Like... <laughs> The attitude error is coming. Oh, so straight. What's actually funny, when Goldust has his little renaissance in 2016, I do love how the commentators keep referring to him as one of the pioneers of the attitude era, which is an interesting bit of retcon. We move, <laughs> on, to our, we, we move on to our next match. Well, our next segment, actually. It's Jim Ross with Razor and Diesel on the hotline. Uh, it's so weird seeing that the fake Diesel and fake Razor there because... To be fair, it, it, it's it, 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 the fake Razor is more uncomfortable to watch than Kane as fake Diesel because at least fake Diesel sort of has the mannerisms down, right? But Scott Hall 
as Razor Ramon, he had the facial expressions that Rick Bogner just can't pull off. Yeah, you're right. Diesel as well. You can just wear sunnies and sort of like punch your glove because Diesel isn't Kevin Nash. Like we're not saying Glenn Jacobs could play Kevin Nash, but Diesel, you strip it down to its basics, you can sort of do it. But Scott Hall as Razor Ramon, (laughs) nah, this guy couldn't do it. It's so funny to look at them. They look like the $2 shop action figure version (laughs) knockoffs of Razor and Diesel. The ones that you'd see in the reject shop that aren't the Mattel ones, they're just the regular. But it's Wrestling just... hero, yeah. <laughs> yes. And look, he- heaven forbid, we're not having a crack at them because, hey, they're just doing their job. But yeah, <laughs> Glenn Jacobs does a much better diesel. In fact, it, he's actually more athletic. If there's, a, I can't wait till we get to one of the Survivor Series matches where he's part of the team because he's actually quite good in that. Um, he's way more athletic than Kevin Nash ever was, but it's just the levels of charisma... And yeah, Rick Bogner just could not do Razor Ramon, which is unfortunate there. But we get to our next match. You want to talk about a Hoss fight. Mm. Psycho Sid versus Vader. Vader's got Jim Cornette here. We've brought this up so many times. Every time we talk about Sid, the man's loved. The man is absolutely loved. Yeah, and, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but they put him in the main event one month later at Survivor Series, which we're going to get to. Part of me always wondered, like, oh, why was Sid in that main event? Why did he get that feud? But re-watching these shows again, it's clear as day. In the run-up to the Survivor Series 96, arguably nobody was more on a hot streak than Sid in the WWF. They no, loved yeah, him. You're- you're right. The only person that is more popular than Sid, and we talk about how Mark Marrow is pretty popular, but there is, we're talking fans losing their mind, like absolutely losing their mind. Shawn Michaels is probably the bar when it comes to um, pop. rabid fans and mm. huge. Yeah, because they remember they were climbing over barricades to try and get him, and he was loved as well. But fans just absolutely love Sid in 1996. He's, he's so popular. He's still as goofy as ever. <laughs> but. People just seem to love it. And also, this is, you know, we remember the late Vader in WWF where he was kind of, eh. He's still in work mode here. He's going. He's gone. He can still hold it up in this match. And I thought that, yeah, he had a bad encounter with Shawn Michaels, but he still got his, you know, I've come to play boots on. Yeah, like that match, you take out that weird awkwardness. That's really good. This is really good too for, you know, a 10-minute big man fight. I really liked it. Um, Sid's promo pre-match does his classic Sid where he screams and then he whispers. He whispered to end it. I rewound it twice, didn't catch what he whispered. I don't think there were captions, but he said something. Then it was cool. Like, that's the strange charisma of Sid. Unique promo style, look cool. So it seemed cool. Even when he fumbled his lines, you're like, I don't know what he said, but I like it. There is something to about Sid, and I, I sort of this is my sort of impression of it, but you know, when he stands on the apron through um, during his entrance, he looks like something that was made in a factory. Like he doesn't look like a human being. It's just like, if someone said, if someone said to, you know, your parents, like, Hey, draw what you think a, a pro wrestler would look like. They'd be like, Oh, well, you'd have big muscles and, and like an angry face. And he's a, he's a, he's a stereotype wrestler. Like, and 
he doesn't look like a regular person. Like, if you saw him at Coles, <laughs> it would stand out so much. He's a little bit fake, you're right, because you're like, yeah. okay, son, how do you want to draw your wrestler? I want him to have a massive chin. You know, he's got, like, the big double chin. <laughs> and I want him to have curly blonde hair, and he's seven yeah. foot tall. Okay, seven <laughs> foot. But he's also super ripped, because generally the guys who are seven foot aren't built like Sid. No, Sid cheated, no. and he's got all of the cool things, you know? Yeah. He was doing black tights before Austin did. Like, he was yeah, pretty cool. He's got the total package there. So, Vader, is, as I said, he's still in work mode here. So, the boys are actually having, putting on a pretty solid match here. But it, it's funny because this is something that is carried on to this day. It turns out the weakness for any, you know, towering monster like a Brock Lesnar or an Undertaker or a Vader is giving them a shot to the balls. <laughs> that is all you can do. That must be some weird Vince McMahon psychology. Like maybe when he yeah. was a kid, he beat up tall guys by hitting them in the balls. So yeah. he applied that to every situation. He's like, ah, oh, how do you bring down a giant? Kick him in the Get him in the balls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just, that's it. It's just in the grapefruits. It's, it's so strange just, like, just how much it comes across. But yeah, a choke slam to Vader to finish. It's followed by a bit of a stare down. Although a um, choke slam to Vader, we can't brush over this. This match yeah. was built as powerbomb versus powerbomb. They had a package <laughs> before it talking about the powerbomb, who is the master. They even have Shawn Michaels Shawn giving Michaels. his opinion. And then the match ends in a choke slam. It's weird. <laughs> Uh, Michaels does uh, he is ringside at this match he doesn't interfere or anything like that he's purely there as a, uh, on the commentary team and he's there for the stare down because as you mentioned Simon Sid will be taking on um, Sean at the Survivor Series main event they do the friendly kind of rivalry you know like the, the John Cena Daniel Bryan are like yep I respect you man I'll see you at Survivor Series and we will have a good fight where mm. I will come out on top no I'll come out on top kind of thing it's good i can't wait to watch it because for people who don't know and i know we've been putting sid over so much and not ironically <laughs> like he's really entertaining he's in really this era. Entertaining, yeah and i'm telling you it peaks and it pays off at survivor series his match with Shawn michaels is excellent like shockingly good it main events <laughs> the survivor series in madison square garden and i'll put it up against anything you've watched like from this era it is very very good um, yeah. I just want to give a shout out. We didn't mention this for the SummerSlam match and he might've done it in other ones, but Jim Cornette accompanies Vader here and a great trick that Cornette did that I want to point out. So if you're watching one of his matches again, it mm. is absolute genius. So he does it in this match. He'll bang the mat pretending he's trying to cheer on the person he's managing, but what yep. he's actually doing He's banging the rhythm of the chant of the good guy. And that way the crowd will subconsciously think, I'm going to start cheering Sid, but they're doing it because Cornette is giving you the rhythm. So when he would manage against Shawn Michaels, because he did it when he was with Bulldog, you know, Owen or Vader, he would bang the mat three times in the rhythm of HBK, but he would yeah. just make up some other rubbish and be like, Vader rules. Vader yeah. rules and the crowd would chant HBK and then he'd BK. say oh no stop it's genius that's very good he actually has a very very smart mind uh, Jim Cornette it's got a lot of opinions but you can't fault him <laughs> for that I'll, I'll tell you well, you mentioned um, Survivor Series at Madison Square Gardens because we get a little New York City Survivor Series pump up 
uh, one of those commercials before the main event there. And also one of the first times I think I've, I remember at least in a pay-per-view because, and yeah, I, I probably would be one of the first times where they actually actively promote the Hall of Fame ceremony, which isn't the pomp and circumstance that we see now. But it's just like a little formal dinner, you know, like it almost looks like a graduation, doesn't it? Yeah, it's really weird. I didn't realize they were doing sort of these weekend packages either where Hall of Fame and Survivor Series all in New York. It's not what we get now for WrestleMania weekend, but man, that would have been really awesome to be there for because I feel like you would have got more from the wrestlers doing their speeches because it wasn't, you know, polished and for TV. It would have been, yeah, it would have been really, really cool. Side note too, as uh, as two guys here that have been to WrestleMania weekends, they are absolutely tremendous, but mm-hmm. don't ever go to a Hall of Fame. Uh, you've been to multiple WrestleManias. Why does everyone hate the Hall of Fame? I just, I, I just, it, it was just one of those things where I'm just like, oh no, no, this is no, it's a no for me. I went to the last one that was in a theater before they moved them to the arenas. The arenas, yeah. See, I went to the one in um, Detroit. That was my first Mania. Mm. Uh, JR King, Dusty Rhodes got uh, inducted, and. It was enforced. You had to wear a suit and tie to go. And I think it was better for it. It was smaller. Everyone had to sort of behave to a point. Yeah, a lot better than than the three-hour arena show you get now. Yeah, the one that that, um, I I got to see, the Kurt Angle one, I chose to skip the Hall of Fame and we went to Access and I'm better for it. I'm putting it that way. Was Access <laughs> dead on the Hall of Fame night? Yeah. Oh, okay, was, so you got to do whatever you wanted. It was great because obviously you get the two-day pass to see WWE Access and uh, the two days are completely different. There's lines of go-go. There's so many people around during a normal access, as you'd know, Simon, whereas during the Hall of Fame, it's literally, I remember, and it's also got the, the B-grade talent that's at, not even the B-grade talent, like the D-grade talent is there doing autograph signings because I was able to meet Kurt Hawkins, uh, Ty Dillinger, <laughs> and I chose, we chose not to go talk to Primo and Epico. <laughs> you got to know, so, if you're on the roster and you're scheduled for an access signing during the Hall of Fame... <laughs> The writing's on the wall, I think. <laughs> Pretty much. But uh, look, it's time to get to the main event. Uh, this Is this one of the final sort of two-hour WWF uh, in your houses before they boost them up to three? I think that they sort of kicked that off in 1997, don't they? I think in 97, they're all three hours across the board. So yeah, this might be, I, I suppose it is the second last one because um, this is yeah, October yeah. and then there'll be one more in December. Um, yeah. Really good promo for this main event, recapping Mankind and The Undertaker. And they make note, not only is this the first ever Buried Alive match, I didn't know this, fun fact, use it in trivia, the first ever unsanctioned match in WWE history is wow. this Buried Alive match. There you go. That's uh, Which gets brought up later on too. But yeah, the, the thing that I love about a Buried Alive match is anytime there's a weird stipulation match, like an Inferno match, or coincidentally enough, most of these weird stipulation matches involve The Undertaker. Um, Mm. They're always like, the amount of times that they reiterate, the only way to win the match is to bury your opponent alive. Yeah. That is a sentence. (laughs) You're right. Because we watch wrestling, we're like, oh yeah, that's the rule for this sporting contest. I get it. Yeah. But when you hear the only way to win is to bury him alive, it's very strange. (laughs) 
So strange. And, and uh, I bring up an Inferno match that the first person to light their opponent on fire wins yeah. the match. <laughs> it's just outside of wrestling, it just sounds so weird that, uh, you know, some form of attempted murder is how you win this match. But look, we start off the match. Mankind and and um, Paul Bearer are still in their little alliance here. Taker is over huge. And this match just starts off go, go, go from the opening bell. There is no, let's feel each other out. Let's get it. Let's build it. It just starts off at 10 and stays at 10. Yeah. Undertaker, like it's only a couple of minutes in, he hits a top row dive from the top turnbuckle to the outside. Like this is the beginning of the Undertaker just finally being able to say, I'm just going to show you what I can do athletically. He tones down the zombie stuff. He's not moving in slow motion any anymore. This match feels like the first one, as good as the Boiler Room Brawl was and the other match they had, here The Undertaker really lets loose. Yeah, and it is all Taker because Mankind cops an absolute hiding. And to be fair, this is the sort of thing that made Mick Foley famous because that's what... Cactus Jack was, you know, he was, he was deranged, but he would take a beating and then sort of have a bit of a comeback. Taker is just going all out. And you're right. This is actually a really good showcase about, because at, at this point in time, we're still used to seeing Undertaker as the slow zombie type. But the fact that he's, you know, he's, he's pulling out all, I, I've, I've written down here, um, Taker is spamming attacks like a video game character. <laughs> he is. He's put all the cool moves on and he's just beating the crap out of him. <laughs> it's a very sort of ECW match in terms of the moves they do. Like, you know, a dive to the outside. And then at one point they're brawling in the crowd. Mankind's on one side of the rail. The Undertaker's on the other. Taker does a running start and dives over the rail to do a crossbody. Like he is just trying everything he's ever wanted to do. It feels like. Yeah. And it very much feels like someone said, it's like, all right, all right, we'll let you not be a zombie. Fine. Do what you want. See where it goes. Um, the tide does turn again with Paul Bearer delivering a shot to the nuts to turn the tide. And then Mankind, Mick Foley goes in that weird kind of squealing mad mm. uh, psychopath sort of uh, attack. And there is some mega weapon you see. I don't know. What is that little weapon they get? It almost looks like a shiv, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I feel like Mankind also used it when we watched the Mind Games match and he was stabbing himself in the leg with it. Yeah. Just some sort of spike mankind would use sometimes. Because they don't actually, they just say, oh, he's got that, he's got that foreign object. Like they don't, <laughs> they don't specify that he's, well, obviously, because I guess like, you know, it's not like, oh, he's got a plank of wood. He's got a two by four. Mm. It's just, he's got that object and it's just, all right, all right, man, let's, uh, let's, let's turn it down a little bit here. But yeah, strange. It's so strange. Well, one point that got me though, that I didn't, ever remember seeing and i don't think it's ever happened again it's not hardcore but it's technical wrestling in a hardcore setting they're both Mm. on the mound of dirt near the the buried alive set and i forget who hooks who but basically they get each other into a small package and they roll down the hill together oh yes (laughs) yeah that that mound of dirt actually does play a fair role in this match it's kind of cool to sort of say but um, another thing that, that really sort of stood out to me is how stiff these weapon shots are. Like, we're so used to, obviously, with what we know now with, like, CTE and just taking care of themselves and trying to prolong their careers. But right now, 
there's there's stiff chair shots. There's there's just there's no disregard. Well, obviously they're going into it trying to look after each other, but right here it just looks like they're just going out to legitimately hurt each other. Oh, some of the chair shots from the Undertaker, and that almost feels like another thing he's always wanted to do because we didn't really <laughs> see the Undertaker prior to this use a chair and have a hardcore match. He really lays it into Paul McFoley, who just just gets everything imaginable that the Undertaker could come up with this at this point. It's it's very good, and you could see why the Undertaker would eventually become a hardcore champion and a great yeah. gimmick match wrestler. Like he had it in him to brawl. This is very good. And I wanted to to ask you, is mm. this the only good buried alive match ever? I think so. Yeah, it, it really is, is isn't oh, it? Look, look. Maybe, maybe I will go with the Survivor Series match against uh, Undertaker versus Mr. McMahon. That's the one I was thinking too. The only one that's kind of memorable too, where yeah, where it's Vince McMahon it's, bleeds more than anyone ever. Yeah, yeah. It's well, but we're, we're, I, I think you'll agree with me here. We're not saying it's a good match. It's a memorable one. <laughs> Vince McMahon plays the role of Mick Foley on that show and lets Undertaker destroy him. It is brutal, but yeah. They're the only two that I remember ever enjoying in some sense, but yeah. It's it's an interesting one too because the, the crowd, every time they head towards that mound of dirt, and at one point they're actually in the grave, the crowd just gets turned up about 12 or so decibels. They love it. Yeah. It, it shows, I guess, the law of diminished returns. When you're seeing Buried Alive for the first time, this was yeah. mind-blowing. WWE really have been or were on a roll for a really long time of these one-off gimmick matches the first time for most of them is unbelievable and i love this match like if you haven't really seen it or you can't remember it i'd recommend this the most Mm. yeah get amongst it it's a really cool match we see uh the steel steps getting involved because they sort of go back to the ring and there's more vicious chair shots here they've brawl on the outside this match actually has it all Taker eventually gets the win by choke slamming mankind straight into the grave. He starts burying, uh, throwing in the dirt, and then declared the winner. And then we get a really, really weird aftermath where he just continues to bury mankind and then just goes on a mad ref throwing spree until more shenanigans kick in. Oh, man, these refs deserve a mention too. Some of the bumps <laughs> they take from that mound of dirt, they're just flying <laughs> off like cartoon characters with their hands in the air, just like goalies flying sideways. Yeah, like, yeah. it's got to be seen to be believed. It's pretty fun. I'm talking full on, like, so So take it on the mound of dirt with the shovel, sort of, and he's really effectively shoveling as well. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Whereas, because mankind, when he sort of tried to sh- uh, shovel, it was just kind of like half-assed sort of. Yeah, you know what? Just a bit of dirt here, put that there. But, but mankind, but Undertaker, Taker really looks like that. He's just been thought. Well, I've got fifteen minutes to uh, to fill this hole. I better do it quick. And you're right. The 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 referees are being manhandled. They're being thrown around like they're like they're nothing. Hmm. And then, though, like, this confused me, though, because I didn't remember this going for as long as it did, but when I saw the runtime on the network of how long was left after the match, this starts to drag because a bunch of heels come out to attack The Undertaker, and this goes on forever. Well, we'll, we'll, I'll pause that there because Hmm. it's the executioner that comes out and hits, 
he hits Undertaker with a shovel. Now, I could be wrong here because I haven't. I can't remember the rules from back then. I never probably watched the majority of those rules, but. Is the executioner an established character at this point in time? This because, might have been his debut. I yeah. Think. So it's literally the executioner, just a masked guy, comes out, randomly smacks Undertaker in the head with a shovel, gets mankind out of the grave, and then, as you say, every heel from gold dust, even Triple H, Triple H is doing a lot of work in this paper <laughs> for you, come and start all burying uh, Undertaker alive. Yeah, actually burying him. There's obviously some smoke and mirrors attached, but yeah. Almost shades of the Royal Rumble 94 when all of the heels put Taker in the casket against Yokozuna and then he rose up to heaven. So we're seeing that again where a bunch of heels are like, no, we've had enough of the Undertaker. We're just going to (laughs) murder him right here, right now. But this burial, it's a bunch of guys with shovels and I don't know if they were doing a really bad job, but surely it can't take that long to to fill a grave. You've got, and especially one that's already practically half full as it is. So, and, and we're, we're talking gold dust. Uh, you're right. There is the rogues gallery. It's it's essentially like when when the Joker in the old '60s Batman cartoon has Adam West trapped, and you see like the Riddler come out, and then Catwoman, <laughs> and they all just try to beat up Batman. This is what it all it is. And the best part is Vince McMahon is losing his mind. They're burying the Undertaker alive. Yeah, I mean, come on, Vince. You're the one who set up the match. It's called Buried Alive. Like, he was a bit too disappointed that someone was being buried alive, but we get special effects. We get flashing lights. We get lightning sound effects. We get everything. Finally, after what feels like an eternity, they finally say, okay, we've buried him enough, and they all scatter away. Um, Maybe the payoff was worth it, though, because even though... You can probably imagine what the shot is. The Undertaker's glove rises up from the dirt, which is an amazing special effect. I don't mm. know how they did it. I don't it know how the they arena. did that either. Yeah. It's very cool. I, I thought he would have, you know, rolled off to a booby trap, but whose arm is that? It looks like his. But that pop, when his arm pops out, is gigantic. So the crowd yeah. were happy to wait for it. It was just, it's a tremendous match. What did you think? It was one of those, he's alive kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I love it. I mean, that's The Undertaker. I know some people say, oh, but The Undertaker is so dumb. I love it. Even though sometimes I want like a bit of realism in my wrestling, when it comes to The Undertaker, the dumber the better. He's a zombie. Mm. He has magic powers. He has fire. Don't tell me he knows the stage guy and he did a trick. No. Yeah. No, Undertaker no. is magic Undertaker. and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, what did you think about this pay-per-view? Well, what do you think? Because uh, we, we've seen a series of Mankind versus um, Undertaker matches so far. I actually reckon this one's probably, uh, out of all the series, take into account the Boiler Room Brawl as well. Out of all the spectacle matches, this one's probably the best. Yeah, this is the best one so far. And, you know, things would get better, arguably, you know, even later down the line with Helen Nassau. And another match they have, I think it's 97, we'll get to it. But this is very good for a Buried Alive match. It's a gimmick no one's ever seen before. It's a fun match, even if you take the theatrics out of it. But then they just add, you know, something on top that you weren't going to see anywhere else. This is a really good main event. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was their best match so far. Just one Mm -hmm. more note. Did you notice Paul Bearer wasn't using the same urn as before? No. It's almost like he forgot the traditional urn. 
this one had handles on the side like it was a grand oh. final trophy. It was so funny. <laughs> I did not notice. Yeah. Because you always sort of see him like hold it like that. I just assumed that I didn't actually pick up on the handles. There yes. you go. It was, this, this is the back final cup trophy. Earned. What's that? Yeah, the backup urn. <laughs> With the other ashes, he's divided it up into different urns. Just in yeah. case. I, I think, um, look, when we look back at the Buried Alive Pay-View, and eventually, look, we will get to comparing it to Halloween Havoc. Uh, in fact, let's do that now. Because out of the October pay-per-views, Halloween Havoc had a lot going for it. You had Hogan versus Savage and the NWO really running roughshod. Whereas Buried Alive, you had the combination of... Undertaker versus Mankind. And that's basically it. But, because mm. it, it, there's no Shawn Michaels match. Bret Hart's not there. Uh, who's There's no Ahmed Johnson, who's the other big one. Warrior is just basically done and dusted mm. for 1996. So, you're really putting all your eggs in the buried alive basket, aren't you? Yeah, which, like, normally I've been the WWF sort of, you know, fanboy on this show. I'm going to give October to WCW, which is funny though, because I'm in the minority who loves Hogan vs. Savage from <laughs> Halloween Havoc. So if you're like me, yeah, it's a tough one. I think the two main events of Halloween Havoc for me give it the nod, the Outsiders versus Harlem Heat and mm-hmm. Savage and Hogan. But if we're just talking one match, main event versus main event, maybe the Buried Alive is better. Yeah, look... It, it- you're right. If we're picking one match from a pay-per-view, Buried Alive gets it because that trounces anything that WCW had on Halloween Havoc. However, however, <laughs> it if we go look at it all together, because as I mentioned, there's no Brett. You've got to sit through another Smoking Guns match. Mm. You've got the weird JR at the start talking over the um, the really good Austin match. Like there's just, you don't have Bret Hart. You've got, a real B pay-per-view. Like, this could pass off as an episode of Raw, couldn't it? Absolutely. It is a B pay-per-view. It's a one-match show. Um, what's strange about it, this is really weird. I think this would have changed our opinion on it. In Mankind's first book, he talks about the Buried Alive and how it was so great and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. They may have entered. I thought he was joking that the last shot the crowd in the arena saw wasn't the hand because he then says there were two more matches which weren't for pay-per-view. They were for the crowd only. Oh, wow. The Godwins versus the New Rockers. That would have sucked. Who cares about that? that. Yeah. But the dark match for the WWF title, which has now been released on a DVD set, finally, not that long ago. Hmm. I still haven't seen it. Shawn Michaels versus Goldust for the WWF title. Oh, wow. If that was on this pay-per-view, that would have really been, uh, I think, would have changed our opinion. That's really strange. So they, that's, um, yeah, you're right. If you, so Goldust not only has done double duty here, what, were these like little squash matches like they have like after Raw, like in the sense that like, you know, when, when all of a sudden John Cena's out there and it becomes a six man where everyone just does their finishes kind of thing. Like, are these actual matches? That's what I don't know. I know it's on the mm. Attitude Era unreleased DVD volume right. three, which. Right. It's not on the network. I wish it was because I'd love to see that match, but who knows? What a strange choice for the WWF. To be fair, though, if you saw the main event was going to be Shawn Michaels versus Goldust, it's kind of like one of those matches when you see, like, I don't know, The Miz versus Otis. <laughs> you know, you sort of know what 
the, yeah, it's a foregone conclusion. But yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I hmm. didn't know that. Yeah. I see. I would have thought that they would have had like you know a free for all because there's normally like a free for all the kickoff show beforehand. Oh, there was. I've uh, hmm. got that up thanks to CageMatch.net. The free for all was the Stalker versus Justin Bradshaw. Wow. This can't be true. This cannot be true. The supposed time of that match was 20 minutes. Surely they didn't do the Stalker versus Bradshaw for 20 minutes. I'm glad that they didn't put it on the (laughs) pay-per-view if that's the case. Oh, geez. Not only that too. The free-for-all is the kickoff show. That's the one to try and entice you to (laughs) buy the pay-per-view. Who in their right mind is watching the Stalker versus Bradshaw, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, bear in mind, and going, you know what? I want more of this. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) That might have won the war for WCW that month. Oh, well. Look, I think we can decisively give this one to um, WCW for October. Mm. Just an all-round balanced pay-per-view. Uh, if you if you go out of your way to to try and watch the buried alive match because it is very cool and it's an integral part of not just Undertaker's like law but also this is sort of where mankind because mankind's still very new to the WWF at this point in time it sort of cements him as a main event player as well. Mm. Yeah, great main event, historically important, entertaining, holds up for the modern style. It's brutal. It's theatrical. It's everything that is good about the WWF at this time frame. So, yeah, I'd recommend the main event. Look, it's going to, in the next couple of editions of Reliving the War, we are going to get some absolute stellar pay per views. I mean, next episode, we've got World War Three for WCW, uh, which is basically their Royal Rumble times three, three rings, 60 men. It's crazy. And we've got Survivor Series 1996, which has the famous Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin match. So we've got a pretty good month coming up, Simon. Yeah, this one's going to be a tough one. I don't remember that World War Three match, but that's always an interesting watch. It's going to be cool to see how that holds up. I have not seen a three-ring battle royal in a very long time, so I'm looking forward to it. I honestly think I'm pretty sure the last time I, I watched a World War Three was on VHS. That's how long it's been. I don't think I've revisited, so that'd be pretty cool to sort of see. Um, look, make sure you jump on board and catch up on the rest of the Reliving the War series. We do have special guests for WCW episodes. You might have to call up some big guns for the uh, for the for the <laughs> for the Three Rings World War Three spectacular in our next episode, but we'll work on that one. But we've got some cool episodes in the archives. We had our mate um, Joel Brown from WCW Gold and the Wrestling Source, um, the Wrestling Source podcast slash radio show. Join us for a WCW pay per view. Um, our mate Andrew Rose from Triple M's Off the Top Row podcast joined us for our previous WCW episodes. We seem to have a lot of traction for WCW episodes, don't we, Simon? <laughs> Yeah, we do, because uh, we always need a third man. But if we're <laughs> going to have a third ring for World War Three, we're really going to have to kick it up an extra notch. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. That's going to be a huge... That might have to be our biggest episode so far because it is yeah. the big three-ring <laughs> circus that is World War Three. 
100%. Make sure you check out the archives. You can follow it um, by subscribing to Grey Wolf Entertainment. It's not just wrestling, too, on the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. There's some footy stuff there, too, as we lead into basketball. There's some cool stuff there. Not only that, too, there's some cool pop culture interviews, bands, and uh, you can also check out the Unsolved Mystery series because that is there's a brand-new series. Pretty sure there's going to be a new podcast coming out with Ned and Fitz, so check that out. Make sure you follow myself and Simon too on the socials. You can follow Simon at Simon Tackler. You can follow me at Doc Nemes. But Simon, this has been a very fun pay per view to watch. And I'll tell you, World War Three is going to be pretty cool. Yeah, I cannot wait. I'll be there three times the action and three times <laughs> the fun. I'm sure that's the tagline. It's got to be. Three times the Grey Wolf Wrestling Podcast as well too. But this has been Reliving the War. We'll catch you next time right here on the Grey Wolf Wrestling Network. <laughs> This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.